I kind of put myself in a position, I guess, to where there was a lot of pressure. I mean, I remember going to the recruiter and they make you pick a job before, you know, you don't just get to go like, oh, I'm, you're going into SEAL training, but you got to have a job you, on paper. Exactly. And I said to the, to the person, uh, what's the worst job that's available right now? And the, the guy told me, he's like, you do not want that job. And I was like, I know I don't want that job. That's why I'm going to put that job down. <laughs> you know, so you almost create like a, I almost created a circumstance, I guess, where there wasn't a safety net. Like burning the ships. Correct. And that for me, um, I think prepared me really well because I didn't really have a plan B. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Mountain Tough Podcast. We are so stoked that you guys are here. We love seeing you week after week. It is our goal to bring you inspirational guests that inspire you to live the Mountain Tough lifestyle and live that full and abundant life. If you haven't had a chance to do so, please leave, a, leave us a review. We don't have any ads on the Mountain Tough podcast. We just ask as a fee to please leave us a review or rating on the podcast store of your choice. We love seeing those reviews come through. We love seeing the comments of the stories you guys want to hear and the ratings and reviews help get these episodes out to help more people. So if you haven't done that, please take a second to do that on the podcast store of your choice. And diving on, diving into current events in the lab, there's a lot going on in the lab right now. Our most recent program is the Gym OnRamp program. So Gym OnRamp is a great option for someone who's looking to get off the couch. They're looking to jumpstart their life. They're looking for a little kickstart. Gym OnRamp is the program to get a beginner or someone who hasn't worked out in a while off and moving and onto all of our other Mountain Tough programs. And it's specifically built for someone who wants to train on gym equipment. So this is a great option if you like going to a local gym or you have a robust home gym and you just want to start on Mountain Tough, Gym OnRamp is the program for you. It is the starting point of all our gym-based training. And you can finish the whole Gym OnRamp program on the Mountain Tough 14-day free trial. So the Mountain Tough app is always starting on a 14-day free trial. Gym on ramp is two weeks, so you can knock that whole program out before if you, before you decide if you want to continue on with your subscription. So it's a great way to start on Mountain Tough and poke around and see what we have to offer. Transitioning over to today's episode, Greg was a Navy SEAL, then he went into business, and then he took a giant leap of faith and a big left turn, and he actually left business to start a cattle business from scratch. So it's a wild leap to go from business to ranching with no background. He wasn't a generational rancher. His family was not a rancher. So he's gone into a beef production business in Montana after his career as a Navy SEAL. So it's a really interesting story around mindset. We talk a lot about different mindset tips and tricks that have got him through life both in SEAL training, both in business, and now in ranching. So there's a lot packed into this episode. It's an episode you're not going to want to miss. So stand by for my discussion with Greg Putnam. I think there's a lot of parallels between the military stuff and the agriculture stuff that a lot of people don't realize. And I think there's a lot of just interesting, kind of the same mindset stuff that goes into being successful 
in anything where you don't have a lot of say over the weather or you don't have a lot of say over kind of the environmental yeah. that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and how do you operate within those areas from a, you know, cause that can be super defeating mm-hmm. whether you're hunting, whether you're, you know, you're doing a long, you know, a marathon or some sort of longer race. Like, you know, there's times where it feels like it's all stacked against you. And then yeah. how do you work through that stuff? So I think there's a good tie between kind of what I'm doing now, but I'll talk about anything you want. Um, yeah. That's what breaks most people down is that snowstorm that comes in with yeah. the, that they weren't planning on. Yeah. Or the bag of snacks that you had, you know, that you had all laid out gets ripped off on a tree and now you don't have it. And you're like, my whole plan's gone. Yeah. What do you do? Right. Yeah. The, is that the, the breaking point, uh, that, that, you know, determines the, the failure or is it somewhere like, eh, whatever, I guess I don't have any snacks. We'll just keep cruising. Just keep going. Yeah. See what happens. But where do you, you know, kind of like, where does that come from? Right. And, and how do you see parallels between that, um, you know, I like talking about all that stuff. I love the stuff that, you know, that, um, that Phil does with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very much a huge believer in like his program and even doing the stuff. Like I helped him, it was a couple of years ago, but the stuff he was doing at MSU mm-hmm. and trying to take some of the mental performance stuff and apply it to, you know, young men playing sports at a high level. And a lot of what we worked on there was basically overcoming something that didn't go your way because it's never, everybody's great when it's going your way, right? When it's sunny out and like (laughs) you, you're well fed and you slept good. It's easy. Yeah. How do you perform when the snowstorm comes in, your kids kept you up the whole night, you didn't eat the breakfast you wanted and now you're out there doing it and you lost your snack bag, right? Like it's, those are the topics I really like that I just, for myself, you know, I definitely feel like that's the thing that ultimately for whatever I've ever done, that's led to any sort of success has usually just been through the ability to mindset. Yeah. Just persevere on something I'm really committed and dedicating to doing and then just figuring out a way to do it and not getting deterred by. Um, so I think all those types of topics are things that probably work well with, with your guys's audience. Yeah. Um, and it, areas that I'm happy to share, you know, stories about and just things I've seen, um, you know, from the SEAL teams to starting businesses to transitioning out of the military to, you know, watching other people that you you can really see yourself in. One thing I loved about that deal that Phil was doing at MSU is you, you had these kids that were at a point where you were at some point and seeing, you know, helping them get their perspective. Because yeah. all that stuff's learnable. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the interesting thing about the military um, in the SEAL teams is nobody teaches you any of that when you go into selection, but then you start learning it and they teach it later in your career. And there's all these things where some people naturally are very good at, at just being able to do those things. And other people, if you taught it to them beforehand, they would have a huge leg up. And that's what I think is interesting now, like about podcasts and things, because you can learn so much and apply it to whatever you're doing from all these different people that have done different things. So much information. Yeah, so much information out there. It's insane. Yeah. So did you, were you working and thinking on this stuff at a young age? Was it baked into your childhood? 
sort of um i always like i was a big outside kid like i love to hunt i love the fish i love to be outside um the military stuff is something that's always like definitely been in in deeply rooted i guess in our family my grandpa was in world war ii uh, my brother was a special operations air force officer um, my uncle is a seal and that's how i got started down the seal path um was just you know as a kid seeing all those pictures and hearing stories and then he took me to a reunion and you start seeing guys that are doing that and i was mm. 18 at the time and you know just like a, a wee boy heroes. and yeah. you see these guys where you're like oh that's what a man looks like right there and yeah. i want to be like that right and that's kind of what got the ball rolling for me going in the military direction and you grew up on the east coast right? i did yeah. yeah pennsylvania originally and then you went in as an enlisted mm -hmm. guy to the teams after you'd already gone to college. Correct. Yep. I went to college and then at the time they had a program where as a civilian, you basically could come in on a contract to participate in training, I guess is the best way to say it. And so I kind of looked at what the options were on the enlisted side of the house and the officer side of the house because I'd had a college degree. And just for me, the enlisted side definitely fit better. Um, it was also a faster path to get into training basically. Um, cause if, you know, if you just look at our, you know, most special operations commands, but the SEAL teams in particular, it might be a 18 man platoon with three or four officers. So there's far more enlisted spots. Therefore you can, you know, get into training where the number of spots on the officer side is super limited and it's super competitive. I mean, it is unbelievably competitive uh, from the the people coming out of service academies, people coming out of, you know, civilian schools. Um, but you get, I mean, really some of the highest performers from those places, mm -hmm. um, you know, competing for a very limited number of spots. Yeah. And did did you have a pretty smooth process through, through buds and selection and training or... Did you squeak by, barely make it by, or what was your mindset at that age? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination at times. <laughs> you like, you, you know, I'd say overall it was fairly smooth. You have those evolutions or those days where you're like, man, I feel like I just barely squeaked by on this thing. Um, and you know, I I think the best advice that I ever got was, don't worry about what you just did, don't worry about what's coming up, and just focus on you know, kind of what you could manage at the moment. And there were some days where you could say, oh, I'm going to make it to the end of the day. I'm going to make it to lunch. I'm going to make it to breakfast. Then there's days where you go, I'm just going to run 20 more yards to that piece of seaweed and then pick another one and pick another one. Yeah. And all, and then eventually you get to the end and you just have to find little ways to basically stay motivated in those times where it was super challenging. And it, it all just, I don't think anybody goes through any of those things and just goes like, oh, it was super smooth. I will say it was fun. Um, you're maybe not exactly when you're doing it, but looking back now, I mean, there were just so many great times with great people. And I mean, the first time they tell you to hit the surf and get sandy, you're like, oh, this is so cool. I'm doing it. Like, I really, <laughs> the thousandth time, you're like, this sucks. I am over this. Yeah. You know, maybe that by the 10th time, you're like, oh, I am over this shit. But the beginning of it, is exciting because it's new and you're there you're actually doing it mm -hmm. um and again you're just 
you're doing it with so many like-minded people and you're, you know, you're, you're in the game at that point. And, um, but you got to find those ways to, and ultimately I think that advice, advice is so good because it's so easy to look back and say, oh, I had to do this, 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 and this, and then I've got this coming up. And I don't care if that's in business or in life where you're just, you know, oh, I've, you know, we're moving to a new town or I'm changing jobs. You can, you can easily become overwhelmed by the circumstance if you allow yourself to kind of look at all the different, and I think you have to know what your goal is, but you have to be able to break that thing down. And then once it comes down to it, it's in same thing with what you guys do, right? It's as it gets super hard and you're challenging people, you know, I think a big component and correct me if I'm wrong to your guys's program is you're trying to actually tap into that moment where you don't want to do the workout anymore. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's where the magic happens. And then you're finding these ways to work through that. So not only, but then you're, you're, you're basically my, you know, the, the way that the wiring in your mind then is going is, Hey, when it gets tough, like I just got to do, I got to do this deadlift. Just one rep. One yeah. rep at a time. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we want to get people to is to that, that essentially breakdown moment where their only way to survive is just one rep after the next. Yep. And if they start thinking about anything else, there's going to be some sort of failure moment. But if we can teach them that in the gym, then it starts trickling down to all other areas of their life. hundred percent. And it's because you're getting a, a, like a physical stamp from what you're doing, but you're also getting a mental, if you quit, that starts to become kind of the pathway that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that's a path of least resistance, like I guess. Like path. Exactly. And developing those out. And I think that's something that just ultimately happens over, that's what they're going for in these selection processes. Um, and again, it's building resilience in, but that ultimately is coming from things not going your way. And, your ability to basically be be able to overcome those things or break it down to a manageable, doable. Uh, it might be, hey, I've got to do you know a hundred deadlifts, but I can only focus on one at a time, and I'm not going to think about the pull ups I have to do after that, right? Mm -hmm. And and people who do that well, you know, they they still know what the goal is and the total workout is, but when you get to a certain point where you're that you're that taxed the ability to, to break that down into just what you can handle, I think is something that, um, it's just a, it's a skill set that some people have very naturally. And it's a skill set that becomes more developed as you train it. Yeah. It's like a, a muscle and it's, there's a lot of crossover to backcountry hunting that we see all the time too. And one of the things that is really obvious is definitely like, like you said, how, buds and selection was a lot of fun in hindsight it's like the hardest things we do in life are always the most rewarding and most fun and bring us the most joy and the more we can remember that in the moment the the better it helps us get through that really difficult situation but like the most difficult hunts that are very very nasty and you think you're not going to make it looking back are always the most rewarding and the easy ones are kind of like a letdown in in some ways. So it's like yeah, you the want suffering the has to be yeah. There. Yeah. Without that, I mean, without the uh that's the good stuff. That's where you where and then you look back on it and you remember how hard it was um in a positive light. 
And, and again, you're kind of building those neural pathways of, of being able to manage and handle that. And mm. I know, I think you're hundred percent right on, on those things. And I love it. I can't remember. There's like a funny, it's like level one fun, level two, level three fun type is visible, yeah. but <laughs> you know, kind of in, and then type four fun is, but the funny part is, is when you put your sweatpants and flip-flops on at the end of the day and you look back or you get in your sleeping bag or you get in your tent and you look at what, how that day went and that feeling of accomplishment and finding a way to, to make it fun, funny, enjoyable. And I I mean, I can remember being on runs where I had to envision my family or somebody kind of cheering for me or make it a, making it about somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think all of us just come up with these, you know, little tricks of, you know, how do you go over that next, next ridgeline to continue chasing a bull that you've been after all day long that you don't know how it's going to go and you're tired and yeah. How do you do that? How do you think that, how do you think that you were prepared for that more than your classmates? Like, was it something that your father did when you were growing up? Was it your lifestyle? Like, why were you more prepared than the guys that didn't make it? That's a great question. Um, for me personally, I'd had, you know, a couple, I'd just say like hardships that I had to overcome. Like I had gotten hurt really bad um, skiing when I was a kid and you know, I had, I had played sports and stuff my whole life. And I, I basically, I cut the nerve that, that goes down, um, the left, the, both sides of your legs. But for me, the left side that controls basically upward motion of your foot and toes. And, um, I got in this skiing accident. I had this, um, I, I cut it. It was an inch apart on the ends. And this was in, uh, 1996. And so, um, they weren't sure how that was going to, if they were even going to get it back together. So I had to have this whole surgery and hmm. it was kind of a wild deal, but they were like, we're not sure if you're going to run foot's going to come back, run, walk, play sports. And I remember I just kind of had it in my mind that I was like, Oh, it's going to be fine. I'm going to come back. No problem. And, and, and I was playing hockey probably eight months later and the doctor was just, I could hardly get my skate on because my foot was hanging down. But once I could get it on there, oh, it, man. I could, I could press down, but I couldn't pick up. Dang. So if I had it in, you know, like a boot or something like that, it was kind of okay. Um, but that took a lot of just what it took to kind of work through that and get back. But then it, it probably for imprinted on me that if you work hard at it, you can, you can make it. Yeah. And you can make it happen. And, um, I was a little bit older when I went through bud. So, you know, I've been through college, um, you know, my, my wife, um, we weren't married at the time, but we were together. I felt like I had made a big, cause we had, we had moved out, um, to Northern Idaho and Western Montana right after college together. And then, um, I was working at the time and kind of preparing to do, um, to do the SEAL teams. I just wasn't sure exactly when that was going to happen. Um, but we made a big life change to do that. And I felt like, you know, I'd convinced her, you know, to move out here and it was going awesome. It was going great. And then it was, well, let's, I want to go do this thing now. And I, I kind of put myself in a position, I guess, to where there was a lot of pressure. I mean, I remember going to the recruiter and they make you pick a job before, you know, you don't just get to go like, Oh, you're going into seal training, but 
You got to have a job on you, paper. Exactly. And I said to the, to the person, uh, what's the worst job that's available right now? And the, the guy told me, he's like, you do not want that job. And I was like, I know I don't want that job. That's why I'm going to put that job down. <laughs> you know, so you almost create like a, I almost created a circumstance, I guess, where there wasn't a safety net. Like burning the ships. Correct. And that for me, um, I think prepared me really well because I didn't really have a plan B. And I had a lot of people that were counting on you, counting on me. And, and I think that is a big thing where you have people, um, rooting for you. And my parents were, were, were definitely, you know, hugely supportive of my brothers were supportive. My uncles. So I had all these people that ultimately I felt like were cheering for me that I couldn't let down. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me. And what you learn in those situations is if, if you make it about somebody else, if you're doing a workout where it's a team thing, right? If you're holding the weight while I'm doing something else and you have to hold it until I'm done, well, usually somebody else is suffering, encourages you to. to oh, it's a game changer. Correct. Yeah. And, and also having people rooting for you and for your success that you don't want to let down. Um, there's some incredible highs that come out of those types of, of processes that the lows don't even touch, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's some unbelievable moments of, I don't know, I guess triumph that you, you have these moments that they make it 100% worth it. And the lowest of the lows doesn't even compare to the high of the highs. And some people never got to experience that because they didn't get to that point Mm -hmm. Um, because if you quit, then you do just get the worst job that they have. And that's, you know, it's a, I've told this story before. I mean, I've seen far better athletes than myself, people that physically, you know, had, uh, probably an advantage and in what you ultimately learn is some of that matters, but what really matters ultimately is your commitment to whatever your goal is or your what you're doing. Exactly. Yep. Most of your peers in that class, why do you think most of them are quitting? I think they got over, if I had to boil it down, the one thing is it's, you get overwhelmed by a moment in time. And however you arrived at that moment in time, it's probably something that was very manageable, but for whatever reason, mentally, they got overwhelmed by something that was happening. And when you have the ability to quit, I guess that easily, because they follow you around in, in buds, at least with a truck, with a bell on it, the bell is always there. It's right there. It's not like, Hey, I'm three quarters of the way up this mountain and I quit and now I got to climb all the way down. Yeah. It's instant. It's I instant. It's, it's instant. Everything you think you want at the moment, <laughs> but then you get to live with that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And but I will say this, like I have buddies who probably went through buds when they were less prepared and quit, did their time in the mil in the Navy and then came back and were animals and that they took that, you know, that, and they used it as a motivator as and most of those guys came back and just said, Hey, I, I got my ass kicked and I'm here to play round two. Can't let that happen. Again. Most people who you find quit, there's an excuse. There's a reason why 
you know, the deck was stacked against them more than it was stacked against you. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think those sorts of things separate the people that truly want to do those things versus the people that think they do or say they do. And that applies to a lot of things, whether it's, you know, starting a business, backcountry hunting, just being on a, you know, selecting a goal that you know is going to be hard enough that you may or may not be successful. Um, that's hard to, I guess, see through. Um, but when you are committed to the goal in completing that task more so than you're committed to telling people about it, you're like for me, for instance, and I'd say most of the people that were successful, they wanted to do that job. Buds, whatever the selection process is, is just the pathway to actually go do that job for real. Yeah. The people that wanted to tell people that that's what they did, um, that wanted to tell, you know, girls at the bar that they're a special operations person, um, generally didn't perform all that well or make it. It's just not a strong enough purpose. Yeah. And that will not carry you through the stress that is being put on you and, and the determination that it actually takes if your whole goal is to go and tell other people about your, your accomplishments versus your internal drive to, to do those things. Um, I think that's a big thing is the majority of those people that come out of those communities could care less if anybody sees or knows about what they do or have done. Mm -hmm. They just did what it takes to do the job they wanted. Yeah. Cause they had their why locked in. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you started, I mean, I remember where you guys started here and to see where you're at now, it's unbelievable. Like it's amazing, mm -hmm. but you knew you had to start somewhere, right? And you had the perseverance to keep driving, building and growing because you had some sort of goal in mind. I can only imagine of what you saw your business becoming. Yeah. Right. And it, and that couldn't have just been where you hit this one moment of personal satisfaction or somebody else goes, wow, you're doing this or you're doing that you got to have that that drive and that motivation to you know to to reach the 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 goal that see yourself standing on top of the mountain and i think a lot of people they 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 want to be at the top of the mountain and they kind of think they can think they see themselves standing there but they don't have the commitment to where it gets really that hard to to actually get there yeah it's really interesting too cuz the factor of being overwhelmed by relatively small things in the middle of a very adverse situation and allowing them to break you down is really fascinating to me from the perspective of you can see it in the show alone and then there's another new show now called special forces which is a little cheesy but they show some of these moments but and alone you see it all the time and you're only seeing it because you're watching it from this 30,000 foot view outside perspective. But for that person on themselves, they don't see it because they're in the middle of the moment. But in alone, there's a lot of good examples where someone is doing really relatively well, like awesome. They like have their awesome shelter done. They got a food cache. They're doing pretty dang good. And then one relatively really small error or mistake or bad day will cause this like immediate mental breakdown mm -hmm. and you're watching it from the outside 
you're like, holy cow, they're going to quit over this. Like they lost their fire starter and they quit a few minutes later on the SOS button when they could have looked for that fire starter for like four more days before they actually were in an emergency situation. But that like that mental breakdown moment can sneak up on people so fast. So fast. If they're not, if they're not like detaching, for, they have to like detach and look at things from a much bigger picture. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the ability to take kind of the, you know, what we would call like the tactical pause or, um, you know, um, gives you that moment to, you might just need to sit down and take a couple deep breaths mm -hmm. and kind of assess where you're at. And I think the ability to do that, usually you, you, it goes two ways. Momentum goes, goes two ways, right? It's contagious. It, the negativity can, can snowball and so can the positivity. And I think the ability for some people to be able to kind of smash the snowball before it gets too big when it's going in the wrong direction um, and, and kind of repack it and start pushing it the other way is where you see those people that are able to persevere and overcome. And when you see the people that just continue to let it build, um, you know, I used to, you know, it's interesting, like you said, watching people going through selection processes, like watching somebody else go through hell week versus going through it yourself is you see it from such a different perspective. Oh, I bet that's interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. And you see the people where you can see it building and then you can see the momentum building for other guys. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just that, and then that one thing is too much. And when it's right there, when you can hit the SOS button, when you can ring the bell and it's all over versus hiking out, I got to hike out of this it, thing with the harder it is to quit, the harder it is to quit. And, and I think, you know, for, for anything, the more that, you know, you, you burn the ships that you cut away the safety net, the more you're going to have to be committed. Um, again, if you're starting and running a business and your family relies on that, your level of commitment is probably going to be stronger than somebody who goes like, well, I'm just going to do this thing kind of for fun and see where, not that that's wrong or bad, mm -hmm. but the level of commitment to success at a certain level is going to be very different. Yeah. You got to eliminate those plan B's. Yep. Even take all of them off the table. Yeah. Which most people don't, everybody loves to have the backup. And I'm, I'm with you. Like if you're going to be doing certain things, you have to have a contingency, but that's not the easy exit strategy either where you just go like, well, it's just, it's too hard. Like, it's just I'm not going to do it. I can, won't be able to do it. It's too hard. I, you know, and I think what you see a, a lot of people that push themselves in, in whatever their kind of area is, they start to develop when they hit those problem points isn't, Oh, this is too hard. I won't ever be able to find a way. They're consistently trying to find ways. And if they can't go over it, they'll try to go around it or then they try to go under it, but they won't be deterred by these kind of, and they are, they're menial issues. And then you see other people that just get steamrolled by the first thing that doesn't go their way. Mm -hmm. And, and again, then that compounds, um, you know, I used to see it too, where, and I've had this happen to me, you know, when you're doing these different training evolutions, um, if you were doing target assaults, so you're doing, you know, operations inside buildings and structures, et cetera. And all of those are very, 
there's very specific movements that you're doing as a team and with your team to execute those missions. And you would watch people basically have a, a you know, a bad entrance into a room and it would become a bad room, which yep. would become a bad floor, which would become a bad house, which would become, you know, a bad day, which would become a bad week and <laughs> see you later. Yeah. The guys that always impressed me were the guys that had a bad entry into a bad room and the next entry they made was perfect. Now they probably thought about that thing the whole ride home, but they were able to stop the snowball, the snowball yeah. from continuing. And they were able to like, they took it on board, but they shook it off, you know, and they knew they were probably going to get hammered for it, but they didn't let what was coming up affect what they had to do at the moment. And that is what, in my opinion, what really sets the people apart that are able to, you know, truly persevere. You know, like, I thought it was super interesting when you had Bodie Miller on listening to him talk about how, you know, you're, how do you battle back like that? How do you not oh, just yeah. say, Hey, I'm at this point there. And I thought his, just his mindset was so interesting. Um, you know, because that's where I think you see people find success isn't where they go, well, I'm in this place. I guess I, you know, it's the people that go, well, I'm in this place, but I'm going to try even harder and I'm going to shake that last one off and I'm going to. Yeah. How many times can you get back up? Is, yeah. I mean, a deep characteristic of a lot of mentally tough people. Yep. Like shaking it off is a hard skill set and then just getting back up and going again and again and again. That's the deciding factor, in my opinion, of who makes it through those sorts of, of selection processes or those sorts of challenges in life are the people that are able to you know basically they can they can they can take it on board and they can shake it off and they can move forward and they don't let you know i tell people all the time i mean buds is just one big losing evolution after another even when you win if you win and i lost you probably have to go lay in the water for 15 minutes and i have to lay in there for 30 yeah and they want yeah. you to they want you to think you're having a bad day even if you're having even a if you're day. having a great you know yeah. but and, and then at the end you, you, you know, you get your pin and you did it, you won. Right. And so the big win always out, uh, it outlives the, the small incremental losses along the way. But then you're quickly reminded the first team you show up to that, you know, you're the brand new guy and you're the least trained Navy SEAL in my case on the face of the earth, according to them. And these are guys who've been doing it for real for a long time. And now you know, so you get this very short time frame to, you know, to, to celebrate that accomplishment, but you don't sit there and, and just revel in it. And then it's all easy from there. The ability to, to go like, Hey, all right, quick recognizing the, and I think most people, I know myself, I mean, I don't sit there and think of like, well, here's all the great things I did. I think of all the things that I messed up and could have done better. Yep. And and I don't, it's probably not the hell, but like when I'm driving home, I don't think about, oh, these are all the things I was so great at today. I think of all the things I'm like, I screwed this up. I screwed that up. I got to get better at this. I got to get better at that. And then you have those days where like you, something really went your way. And I think it's important to say that went my way because of all these things that I did to prepare. And it's also important to look at things that don't go your way and look at the gaps in training. Um, I've a hundred percent had big things in my life not go my way. And 
I think an important aspect of that is to look back. And sometimes you, you go, I think I did everything possible and it just didn't go my way and it, and it stinks, but there's probably something you could have done differently, you know, more of sometimes less of. And I think that kind of that debriefing, how you found success or how you didn't is really important because that sets you up for the next thing you're going to do. But if you allow those failures to say like, well, that's it, I'm not going any further, then you never actually get to implement those lessons learned. And I think, you know, when you, whatever the the thing is, it's the people that are able to do that. They take the failure, they take the lesson and they reapply and they keep going. And then all of a sudden people see them stand at the top of the mountain. They're like, wow, look at them up there. Mm-hmm. But they don't see, you know, all the little steps, all the setbacks, all, I mean, they don't see, they see you in this building now, right? They see you and I sitting here and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Look at this. But they didn't see yeah. day one, day 100, day 200, you know, yeah. and all the times where it probably was close to a point where you thought, I know in my business, I think all the time, there's certain days I'm like, man, we've, we're, we're making progress here. I, this might work. There's and no then, overnight success. No. And then there's days where I go, I don't know if this thing's going to work long. I, I don't, I, you know, and it's just at those moments what do you do? Do you, do you take the, the, you know, people are designed, I think in, in more and more so now than they ever have been in history, the path of who doesn't want to be on their couch, you know, with a hot cup of chocolate and a big hoodie on. And, um, and that might feel good for the second short, but it never feels good as the guy looking back going, Oh, remember when we went out and did this and you remember who you were with and, those are the, those leave that lasting imprint on you to then be able to do it again. Yeah. That's been really helpful for me as I've gotten older is, and it's a hard, hard process. You almost have to remind yourself of it every day and it's easy to slip up on, but like embracing this philosophy that like, we're really never going to arrive. And so like with Mountain Tough as an example, like if we got a hundred thousand new subscribers tomorrow, we're still gonna have more work to do. We're gonna have more problems to solve. And in all of life's examples, that is the case, even though all thoughts in our head and society and culture is telling us otherwise. So usually it's related to like when I in the hunting community, it's like, if I kill this giant bull with my bow, I've arrived. That's not accurate. If I, and then like growing up through like childhood, it's always about like, if I get this present, I'm going to be happy. If I get this truck, I'm going to be happy. If I get this house, I'm going to be happy. And that's never the case in any aspect mm-hmm. of life, even though all all cultural elements are telling us that that is going to be true, but it's never true. And so it's like the more that I can spend some deep thought on that aspect, the the more helpful it is because I think realizing that we've never really arrived switches my thinking to essentially we have like 40, 50 years on this planet to to pursue our mission and our purpose help and inspire as many people as possible. 
in our like working life and whether whether you have like a 30 million dollar company or a 300 million dollar company you still are never going to arrive at this point where you're like my work is done I've reached the summit now I can just hang out and so that that helps a lot from mental toughness perspective because mm-hmm. then it's like if that's the case which I believe is true from all my life experience that the next thing is not going to make me happy then it's all about like the present moment and mm-hmm. it's like you know what are we doing today what are we doing right now and that that mindset shift has helped me a ton yeah i mean i think that right the cruise control is the I mean, that ultimately is kind of the killer. And you look at people that, you know, were super active and did all these things and they retire and, and they don't do anything. Oh, yeah. And you look at the fall off and then you look at people that, you know, they keep their foot on the gas. And if you get 100,000 subscribers, you know, again, that's a moment where you go, hey, we hit our goal. This is great. What do we do that that set us up for success? Okay, great. But we're not happy there. We're going to keep driving forward. And now we want to go to this. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's what's exciting about the short time we have on this planet is you don't, I hate being bored and I'm a huge time person. Um, I do not like my time wasted and I don't like, I, I, I want to jump out of bed and be excited about the stuff I don't know and what I'm going to learn and get better at. And I love the mindset. Um, and I think about it all the time is, you know, that, that kind of new, you're a new guy to somebody. So Mm -hmm. even if you've, you've shot, you know, 25, you know, 400 class bowls with your bow, there's probably somebody out there that shot 26 and is like, cool, let me know when you shoot 26. Right. (laughs) But that feeling of that keeps the drive going. And Mm -hmm. any, I think when you, anybody kind of hits that, just that coast. And for me, the most, I guess, like internally uncomfortable times of my life have been where you're kind of like, yeah, it's going good. I've got it kind of down in. I don't really have to work that hard at it. And I do not like that feeling. I like the feeling of I'm new. I've got to work super hard at it. I really want this to work and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get good at it. And, and that means that you're going to suck probably in the beginning. But I, I like that feeling where, you've, you've got to be thinking about it all the time. And, you know, I get it. And it's probably not the best advice. Um, you know, I totally get where people are, well, you got to have this balance, right? You got to have work. But if you're that committed to something working out or success, I mean, there's a level of number one, there's a level of selfishness in that, um, pursuit. And I think you just have to be realistic about that. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. The the second thing is, is you have to be committed to the success. And that means, you know, you're, uh, I love this saying, I can't remember where I read it, um, but it's the pros practice in private. So you might go to the class, you might go to the thing, you might go to the game. Mm-hmm. And then you're thinking about all those things that you personally want to improve upon. And when no one's around, you're training those skills. And the coolest thing for the community that I came out of, I mean, there was times I remember getting done with the training day, you know, three, four in the morning. The last thing you wanted to go do was more reps of the thing that you hadn't done super well that day. 
but you knew you had to perform the next day and you would go down to, you know, wherever you were at and you'd walk into the room and three or four of your buddies would be in there practicing the thing that they needed to work on. That's awesome. And, and like you said, and there's a big component, I think where one of your buddies might say, Oh, Hey, this one thing you're having trouble with, try this, this works for me. And then all of a sudden you figure it out and, and you're helping each other. Mm-hmm. But that to me was something that, um, I think that was the hardest thing about getting out of the military was losing, you know, walking into that room and you being the only one in there. And then you work with other people that, and, and I get it. Not everybody has the same level of, of commitment to things, but when you would give people opportunity to improve and they wouldn't take it where for me, if somebody gives me an opportunity to improve and they say, yeah, go find the courses you need to go to, to get better at whatever this is. I mean, I'll bring you so many that you'll be like, all right, guy, that's enough, (laughs) you know, but that was a really cool thing about that community is, is everybody, when you get to a certain point, um, or at least the vast majority had that same dedication and commitment to what they were doing. Um, And it it spoils you because then you almost expect that from everybody else else in your life. And um, you don't always get that. And it ultimately becomes something that lets you down about in in, other communities. Yeah. And just other people. And, And it can be hard because sometimes then you start looking at yourself and going, you know, am I going too far on this thing? Am I crazy? Am I crazy? (laughs) And then I don't know. I mean, I feel like all of us are a little bit crazy in some capacity, but otherwise you would just say like, Hey, I'm just going to go do this and I'm going to do this. And the path forward is this. And when I hit this age, like I'm on cruise control and like, I am not looking to be stressed at all. And there's people out there that are, they're probably, I mean, I look at those people at times with a huge, I mean, I'll just look at them. Like I'm in the zoo and I'm like, <laughs> look at this guy. Like he seems perfectly content. It's very rare though, that you find true happiness with someone who's, who doesn't have a mission they're working on every day. Yep. Like I would say externally, they might look happy, but in my experience, it's extremely rare where someone is actually doing well, like especially men in particular that are not focused on a job or a mission or serving other people Mm -hmm. some way, it's usually a pretty dangerous situation for their emotional health. Yeah. Because they don't have any, in my opinion, like there's not, there's not really like a true motivating factor that's driving you forward. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, I mean, again, there's, there's, in my opinion, you know, and this might be terrible advice, but truly to be great at anything takes a level of commitment that a lot of people aren't willing to put in to, to be the person that consistently performs in the backcountry year. We all know those guys mm-hmm. that every year, but you know, the, the numbers of arrows that they're shooting, that their commitment at the gym, um, their scouting, there's a reason they're successful and it's not because they're lucky. And, the cool thing about that though, is that, you know, you could have somebody that is far more talented, far more physically capable and you can, you can get yourself to that level. It just takes a lot 
The 10,000 hours. Yeah. I love that. 10 years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You figure 10,000 hours to get. So if you start a new skill at 40, but I also love the fact that like, I love skills where you go, I might never get to the level I want to be at. I might have that one day where I'm like, oh man, I, I got this. I'm pretty good. And then the next day you just get humbled. So (laughs) like the humble pie smashes you in the face. Yeah. And I love that because it makes you never get to the point where you're like, man, I just got this thing dialed. I never want to be doing anything where I go, I've got this thing dialed. And I always want to be personally surrounded by people that I feel like are better than me in some area. Like I won't hire guys or gals that don't bring some sort of skill set that they're better than everybody at. And I think, you know, if you look at management or whatever the case may be, some people are, well, I don't want this person that might be better than me. I'm, I'm the boss. But what I think is you actually want all those people who's, you know, collectively those skill sets make everybody better. And in my opinion, that builds kind of that like-minded, um, you know, driver where, you know, there's other high performers and it pushes you to do a better job where if you know, you're, you know, amongst a bunch of folks that don't really care about what they're doing and everybody's kind of just, okay, I'm just passing time. Um, I think it, that sets kind of the standard for everybody. And there's a lot of people out there that, that, you know, say, oh, when I do this, when I get this much money, then I'll do that. When I get, you know, when I get promoted to this, then I'll finally be able to do this. And, you know, the, the sand is running out as that's happening. I have friends who go, man, when I'm retired, like I'm going to move to Montana and we're going to go skiing and hunting. We're going to do all this stuff. Oh, I see it all the time. And I go, no, you're not. Because at that point, you know, we're going to be 70 years old. I hope that I'm still physically capable of doing that, but I've also done it for so long that the foundation is there. If you're trying to build that foundation, you know, when, when everything's perfect and that's the other thing, like life isn't perfect. You're never going to have that moment in time where you go, everything's perfect. Now I'm going to start the company or I'm going to take this next bite. Like sometimes you just got to go and you got to start action creates action and stagnation creates stagnation. And I feel I think from my life experiences, I have friends that don't have any more time and they never, you know, so I think about my time as kind of a, um, a commitment or kind of a dedication to them. And the fact that like, it's a real thing that our time here is short and you better do it in a way that's impactful you know, not only to the self, if you're doing something that's impactful that you truly believe in, I think it has a positive impact on other people around you, which I also think is a huge, you know, a true motivator of, of wanting to be, you know, really successful at anything is how many other people are kind of coming along with you. And that might be your kids looking at you and you could tell your kids one thing, but it's what you do or you could tell other people anything, but it's what you do that people see and resonate with far more than what you tell them, right? You could tell them to go do something in you the gym. lead by example. Yeah, yeah, and they might do it. And if you watch them kind of do it in a way where you're not super happy, where you're like, oh, they're kind of just going through the motion. And then you go down and start doing it right next to them for real. Like changes everything. Changes everything, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's just important in 
in the way that, you know, in that you, anybody can do that, right? A new guy can, can do that. Uh, somebody who's been doing it for a long time can do that, but it's, it's, it's kind of, what's that example that you're setting on a daily basis. And, you know, kind of back to that point of, I think like a high level of commitment to whatever you're going to spend your time on, you should be that dedicated because otherwise spend your time on something else that, that you feel is more important. And it's one of the hardest things I think, like I felt like this when I got out of the military is sometimes admitting what we really want to be doing is, is probably the hardest step in actually doing it. Cause once you put it out there and once you get that negative feedback from other people who generally don't have the courage to do whatever those things are, a lot of criticism, tons yeah. nonstop. And it's, generally the people that don't want to see other people do all the things that they're not doing. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause it makes you feel better. Like if you're a loser, it's nice to be surrounded by losers. But if you have that one friend in your group, who's going, Oh, I'm going to go do this, this and this. Well, it's way easier to tell them just give them crap, yeah. give them crap until they don't do it. Cause it makes you feel better about the fact you're not doing anything. And unfortunately it's really important. The people you surround yourself with, and I'm a big believer that you become kind of the average of the people you surround yourself with. And we all have say over that. And you might be the, the you know, the worst skier in the group, but the, the, the people you ski with are improving your skill set by, by participating with them yeah. and, and, or hunting or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I also like that, that deal is you don't ever want, I mean, it's great to be, uh, a high performer, but I also, you don't always want to be the best guy because how are you getting better then? Yeah. If you're the most talented person in the room, you're in the wrong room Yeah, because no one's bringing you up or sharpening yeah. your skills. Did you watch that? Uh, we just got done watching it. The reason I bring it, did you watch that David Beckham documentary on Netflix? I started it. I haven't got very far into it yet. Though. It's really, I didn't know the criticism. I had that no was idea. I thought that that guy was just like, Everybody loved him. I did kind too. Of just this like yeah. pretty boy guy that like had it. Eat. And then you watch what happened to that guy. The death threats. That criticism it. of that many people. Um, how easy would it have been for him to just be like, I'm done. Like, the way he fought through that was fascinating. Fascinating. Like, and that was through his commitment to the skill. And then he ultimately wins them back. And, and that just shows you this one moment that was so menial over the whole thing yeah turn an entire country on this guy where every ball touch he had the whole place is booing you but i think that can be a motivator the mm -hmm. more people that tell me you know you're not going to be successful you don't have the right tools you didn't come from the right background um your parents didn't have or give you this so you don't it's not for you the more i i use it for fuel you, yeah and i think you know i love watching those types of stories where you see people that nine out of ten people in that circumstance probably could not handle oh, i mean yeah. that's hard when people are just telling you that yeah. is really cr crazy too because that is what he started doing he was a he was about to have that breakdown moment and i mean it got pretty extreme with like threats after his wife oh yeah and but he said in that documentary that if he could start, he started playing better when they started booing at him because he started using that for for fuel. Yep. And then he just started crushing. And none of that ever feels good, right? You never go home and go, oh man, I got my ass kicked today or everybody doesn't like me. 
And that never feels good, but it, it can't be, it, it can't feel so bad that it stops you right from doing the thing that you're committed to doing. And, and that's a big thing now, you know, there's with, with all, with anything you do, you're going to have all those people out there that are going to, some people are going to say, Oh, this is great. And other people are going to say, and now there's so much access yeah. to be able to comment on other people's lives basically. Um, and, and again, I'm sure there's people out there that have let other people kind of determine their outcome. And I think that's something that's just really important in any of these things where you ultimately determine the outcome and you've got to find whatever the motivating factor is. Maybe it's you want them to keep cheering. So you go out there and perform well. Some people need the booze, you know? Mm. Um, but I just found that to be a really interesting, cause I knew I didn't, it's such a misconception about that person's life. And that documentary is awesome because you watch this person, yeah, you know, have to fight through a tough. I just it, thought everyone loved him. Forever. I did too. Yeah. And he turned in the coolest thing was he stuck to his guns and, and you know, again, his actions dictated the outcome. And I mean, he could have played like a guy that was getting booed every time he touched the ball or he well, played like a guy that most people would have moved. I think yeah. most people would have packed up and gone to Australia or something. Yeah. And never come out again. Yeah. And you couldn't doubt I mean, <laughs> it. Again, that guy would never be, you know, ultimately, you know, and I don't know again much about it other than I thought that was a really well done documentary, but I think anybody can look at those different things and you, and again, here's a guy that's, you know, had to work through, mm -hmm. but it's the struggle I think is where there's just, that's where you, you learn those hard lessons and there's a lot of value and, they truly, what I think is cool is they start to apply in other places. So your hard work in the gym, your successes in, you know, competition, hunting, whatever your thing is, in my opinion, I think those wins carry over into other things, whether it's work and family and, um, yeah. all the things that are important to make you like a good, um, again, I think, like you said, it's success is a lot more than just, oh, I got paid this much to do it or you know, my house looks like this, my truck, there's so many more components, you know, cause some of those things you could have all those and that might not determine your individual for success. Sure. Yeah. And I think again, admitting as clear as you can, what your individual success looks like is when you actually start getting closer to the center of the target. But it's so hard mm -hmm. to be, it's so hard to admit something you truly want to do because once it's out there, everybody knows and what if you don't make it yeah and now, right yeah now it's now there's an accountability system well people go well you told me you were gonna work and you then you have to fit and go but then i always think about like well what if you do it's helpful it's helpful to tell people though I think. oh it's you yeah. have to because that makes it real yeah and so i, I think it's easy to sit there and, and look at people that that are doing these different things but have the courage to say well this is what i'm doing and this is how I'm going to get there. Or they just start admitting it. And then once they do that, there's a accountability piece to that. And then I do think when that happens, you start naturally surrounding yourself with the people that are going to help you get there. But until you do that, until you start to action that plan, um, and none of those things are easy. I mean, they're all overwhelming when you look at it 
from the beginning, right? If you said, Hey, this is what the business I want to be doing is going to look like when you first started and you wrote that whole list out. You, I mean, you, anybody could look at it and go, well, there's no way that's going to happen. Oh yeah. But then you start checking one box and then the next, and all of a sudden you go, yeah, look Just where we're at. Like step by step. Yeah. Rep by rep, one foot in front of the nut, yep. another, just like all areas of life. Totally. And that comes back to if you looked at the list and all the checks, and then you looked at all the checks you had to go, or you just looked at the one box you had to get done that day. And and then all of a sudden that box is checked out. And then you look at it and you go, man, I only got two left. This is great. And I think that is such an important component. Um, and it takes time. There's no instant gratification, right? There's no oh, I'm going to do this and it's just going to happen. It's it's a long, slow process that you just have to work through. Nobody gets great or builds great things or does great things just magically. I mean, there's very few lottery winners, right? Yeah. There's, But there's a lot of people that have demonstrated that you can kind of get where you want to go, but you, you just can't quit. Yeah, can't yeah. quit and you... <laughs> You have to have the commitment to keep going. Let's transition into the the big leap that, yep. that you took because it's super interesting going from the teams into business, but then you took a pretty wild left turn that is like rare for someone to do, especially coming out of like a, a business background and not a, a generational rancher, but mm-hmm. you you dove kind of head first into creating a cattle company. How did that even start? Like, where'd that come from? Again, it was something I always had interest in. Um, when I first got out of the military, we, we moved uh, back to Montana and, you know, that transition period is just hard. It's just, it's different. And you kind of, um, you, you know, you, you just give up the, this kind of weird known, but unknown and these like people. And it's this thing you've worked at for so long. Um, and for me, like it was going really well. My biggest thing was that we wanted to raise our kids here and, and truly raise them, like not move here when they were 14. You know, we, I remember my wife and I, one time we were skiing, seeing these little kids rip down the mountain oh, and yeah. saying before we were married or even have <laughs> kids and said, I want our kids to look like that. Right. It's and, insane. and now they do. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so I, I got out and, you know, I'd always grown up, um, like I had, had, you know, pretty much rode horses my whole life. I had worked at, um, at, at, at some like smaller ranches, but not in cattle production. And, uh, a really good buddy of mine, um, who was a SEAL team guy one day invited me up to another friend's, uh, ranch. And, you know, in, in, for me, like at the time I was, I was working more kind of in an office type based job and it was going great. It was fine. Um, and I don't know, it was weird. I went up there and I was helping them and I just saw this kind of like-minded group of people with a task at hand, everybody mm-hmm. working together. It started out with more kind of chatter. Oh, we got this, 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 and this. And all of a sudden just became kind of this quiet work work. And I don't know what it was, but for me, there was kind of a weird spark that just lit this weird fuse where I was like, and I never thought at that moment that there was ever going to be an actual path forward to doing that 
um, you know, how do you, how do you get into ranching when you're 38 <laughs> and you don't have a background in it and, um, you don't have a ranch, you don't have anything. Right. <laughs> and I just liked it. And then I kind of, I had, uh, an educational benefit for the military and I never been to school for anything I actually cared about. I always felt like I had gone to school for, um, ultimately for somebody else. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know. I don't know how you were when you were 18, but like, I didn't know what major I was going to pick that was then going to determine the job I was going to get. And I just had this interest and I started reading about it and I started going up there to, you know, kind of help more. And, and keep on, I was doing this with a full-time job, completely unpaid. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to learn about something that I want to know more about. And I started meeting some more people that like totally helped me out. And so I enrolled in a, um, in a program that was an educational based program. And then I just started getting some experience by going in, in helping, helping. And kind of my thing was, um, you know, you don't have to pay me, but you got to answer my questions. I can ask a (laughs) lot of questions and, (laughs) and, um, and I knew it was going to be really hard. I just, I get in the beginning, I wanted to be somebody that people, when you got out of the truck, they said, Oh, that, that guy can help. He's proficient. You know, he's handy enough. And, but you watch people doing those skills that make them look easy and you're, you go, Oh, you know, roping steers. Like, look at that guy. Like that looks pretty easy. And then you go to do it (laughs) and you're the, there's so many layers, so many layers. And for me, the more kind of, I peeled that onion, the more I wanted to get good at it. And the more I was just interested in it and, and I was fascinated by it. I still am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was so embarrassing because, you know, <laughs> here's these people that have do, truly been doing it. Most of them for their whole lives. And here you are trying to learn those skills at, you know, at adult age. Yeah. And they're like, you're doing what? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I just want to learn how to do this. Right. <laughs> but I love that for me. Um, and I think part of that was, you know, kind of the first thing that I was doing was it was in military technologies. It was, it was, um, stuff that I had used before. I had a lot, honestly, I had a lot of like kind of street credibility within the places that I was going and selling. And it was really, it, it wasn't was, that hard. Was it too easy? It was. And what we were doing was awesome. Like it was an I'm not undermining that experience by any means because I wouldn't be where I am today without it. But for me, what I was doing, it didn't have that same component of, I didn't have to suck at it. And I, for me, that, that building, growing and seeing yourself and seeing yourself get a little bit better. Um, and then having that kind of step back and then having to keep going. Um, that's big though, man. I, I bet I know 20, friends that are men that are in really easy jobs life's going well they know they should do something else but don't really have like that courage to take that step yeah people are like well why would you want to like why would you want to risk it why would you want to make yourself you know potentially more uncomfortable and just be okay where you're at right and and i get that that's okay for some people i don't function well physically, mentally in that space. And, you know, kind of here I was saying to my kids, 
you know, and I came out of this community in this thing that was just, it was very, very challenging on a daily. And there was, you know, in those communities, you might get a new mission set that's brand new that nobody's ever done before. There's some target or something out there that hasn't been done and you give it to just a couple of kind of, you know, like-minded driven people, but none of these people are, you know, they're all regular guys and, and you figure out a way and, and, but you have to learn this stuff. You have to go to these things and you always kind of start not being very good at it and you gradually get better. Um, but there's nothing, I mean, it's, there's nothing worse than when you, you know, especially as an adult man going into whatever you're doing and showing up day one with brand new gear. On, oh, yeah. Right. And everybody's like, <laughs> The shiny this guy's gear. too old to be a new guy, but like, <laughs> clearly that's new gear. There's no, like, there's great feeling when you get the new gear and you're like, look at this. Like, yeah. But then there's nothing worse for me when you put the new gear on and it just highlights the fact that you haven't, you don't have the experience. That's the worst. It's yeah. the worst. Yeah. And everybody can see it. Um, You know, you, you like, like you're not fooling anybody and that feeling that's how you feel as a new guy and and to have the courage to to go like hey i'm just going to persevere through this horrible feeling and to have to go up to other people and be like you are awesome at this and i suck can you could you give me a couple and usually they'll give you some great pointers that they wouldn't have given you um if you acted like you knew what you're doing but everybody i've seen guys do it and in you know that cattle stuff I mean, it's, you're not fooling anybody and you're especially not fooling the people that have been doing it for a super. Now, if you say, Hey, I'm brand new and I'm not very good at this. Like people understand and they'll generally help you. If you come in there, like, you know what you're doing and you don't, you will set yourself up for huge failure basically. And you can hurt yourself and you can hurt other people and you're, you're going to look silly. And there's times you're going to look silly anyway, as you're learning and growing. Um, but the ability to actually go, I don't care what I'm going to look like in the beginning. Cause I know where I'm going to look at the end is the, the hardest moment to get through. And it's, mm-hmm. but there's so much reward personally when, and then there's increment where somebody comes up to you that goes, Oh, you got a lot better than this than last year. And I go, yeah, I took your advice and <laughs> I worked on it every night. And, and they go, all right, like you're serious. And yeah. then you're looked at as a, you might not be, the greatest tactician, but you're looked at in a serious way. Someone who's trying by your peers. And again, somebody trying is somebody worth helping somebody that pretends like they know. And I get, we get people all the time now they go, Oh, I want to come and do this. this, And you go, Oh, do you have experience? Oh yeah, I can do all this. And then they get there and it is so unbelievably clear and obvious that they don't have those skill sets. And then I'm like, well, why would you say that? I'd prefer somebody that goes, Hey, I just really want to learn. And you, sh- you, you know, and I'm like that. I, I still do it today. I go up to people that are far better than me at, and I don't care if they're younger than me, older than me. That's not easy. You know, like for me, like you ride up to some cowboy that's been doing this their whole life and go, Hey, I suck at this rope. <laughs> Can you, and they look at you like, okay, yeah, you could do this, 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 and this. That you humil- get out of the way. The humility. But you have to have that. Otherwise, again, nobody's going to come up to you, or most people don't, and go, hey, you're you're close, 
But if you did this one thing, right, and and we all need that um, to get better, but we can do that at any point in our life. I think we all get to these points where you you go, well, I'm beyond being the new guy. And I, and I guess I'm kind of always going, how do you have that new guy mindset where you feel that pressure every day to get your skill set to a point that your peers truly recognize and also um, accept you as a valuable player on the team? Mm-hmm. That that doesn't happen. Take some work until they. You know, you know what I'm saying. It it it's it's you can't buy it you can work towards it but that acceptance doesn't happen until you've earned it mm-hmm. and and i think that happens across the board in any industry that that you know has a level of sacrifice that it takes to get and everything does but that moment where and that doesn't mean you made it, right? But it means you've been accepted to the point. I mean, I've had guys before say, you know, oh, you know, Greg missed, you know, two heel shots on that that yearling. Or, you know, oh, that guy's not that good. He missed one shot at that. And I would say to them, well, you clearly haven't been doing this long enough because you would know that sometimes you're nailing them. You miss all the time. sometimes you miss. Yeah. And those misses is what sets you home. But a guy who tells me, Oh, did you see him miss twice? I go, yeah, who cares? Now, like when you miss twice, you go, man, I can't believe I missed twice. I got to go practice that, right? Mm-hmm. But even somebody saying that highlights the fact that they haven't been doing it long enough or at a level that they're challenging themselves where it's easy. And I love that feeling of, you know, the, the, the chat, like there's great days. We all have great days and and people, your buddies are, wow, you're on it today. That doesn't mean you might not show up tomorrow and completely have a terrible day. Yeah. And anytime you're challenging yourself hard enough, there should be failures. In my opinion, there should be setbacks. Otherwise, yeah. and, and yeah. that, yeah, then there's that happy medium or there's that line where you're like, this is where my performance is at right now. And we all have to admit where that is. And you know, in the cattle stuff that might start with, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm roping calves out of branding to now I'm roping yearlings in an open pasture to now I'm roping, you know, bulls and trailer loading them. And there's a progression there in your skill set that you also have to recognize where you're at and where you're not at. Um, you know, and so for me, when I kind of made that jump, um, it all started from the beginning of just really wanting to learn more about this and really enjoying the people. And I, I love the working with animal aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many just kind of micro skills within that whole thing that I know for a fact, as long as I live, I will never master that full skill set. Learning every day. Yep. And there's always going to be something to get better at. And, and there's, there, there's probably a part two where, um, you know, where you may never be fully accepted, right? But that doesn't mean that the people that follow behind you or other people that you're helping develop, because there is a level where, you know, to get your 10,000 hours, if you start that at 70, yeah. a performance level, right? But that, in my opinion, is just another reason where you you better you better be driving at something 
Um, and again, back to, I think about friends of mine that, you know, that don't have any more time. And if they walked in right now, I want them to be like, hell yeah. Yeah. Good. Like, this is cool. They would love to do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Learning on, working on a new skill. And that new skill is what I think keeps, it it just, it it does so much for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you, and then when you do it once, it's way easier to do it a second time. Like I'd already left a career to join the Navy and that was a hard change in transition, but something I really wanted to do. Then, you know, you do it, but the more you do anything, the truly the easier it gets. I think the hardest time for people to make those jumps is the first time. They've never done it before. Because there's so much unknown. And it's, that alone is, you know, the, the, the sucking in the beginning and the unknown of where it's going to go can be a humbling enough. Uh, I mean, the sucking in the beginning can be humbling enough to not even start, but if it's truly something that you're like, this is, this is what I'm, you know, in the, in, in my gut, this is Mm -hmm. what I want to be doing. We can all be beginners for a certain amount of time. And remember everybody that was, is great at something sucked at some point. Right. Like remember anything you're great at how, you know, terrible terrible yeah but i remember like being a kid like i i don't know why like i love archery hunting i love shooting my bow i've been shooting a bow since i was like 10 years old i had bows i still have bows that people see now today and they were these i mean they're awesome and they're cool to look at what that technology has has changed but i remember shooting as a kid hours and hours and hours of arrows and and then that skill set become you know but you remember how hard time. that was. And now I have buddies who are like, man, I'm going to get an archer. And I'm like, awesome. And then you go shoot with them and they're like, how are you doing that? <laughs> Versus like what they're doing. Yeah. And you go, oh, I've been doing this a long time. Oh, you'll get there. You just got to work through your group starting out like this at 20 yards. And then all of a sudden your group gets a little better at 20 and then at 30. And then it gets, you know, and you see those incremental changes. But again, nobody... It's easy to look at the guy standing on top of the mountain and go, look at that. Look at that picture. That's awesome. But you, a lot of times you don't see the hike from the, from the, you know, truck. And then you don't see, you never see it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they forgot their climbing shoes and had to go back and get them. And then they had to go back, you know? Um, and I think that's just important to remember as, as anybody wants to do truly anything. And especially for younger people, I mean, watching those kids at MSU and like doing that deal that we did with Phil a couple of years ago and helping them, you know, kind of the mental performance side um, of the physical performance that they had. I mean, they were, these are top athletes, right? And if you can get somebody to where they can, you know, and that was everything we did was, was working on, well, what do you do when it doesn't go your way? Right. How do you, you're a quarterback coming off the bench because somebody got hurt and you haven't been in there's two minutes left. How, what are you doing mentally to go in there and perform and perform? Right. And I love that stuff because that is that jump, right? That is that jump from comfort to discomfort into huge potential discomfort. There's nothing worse than failing in front of like, especially <laughs> something that you actually care about. Yeah, in a stadium. Yeah, and you in a, in anything, right? You start telling, and you tell your wife, and then you tell your parents, and then you start telling your friends, and they're like, "You're gonna do what?" Yeah, that's what I'm into, you know. And and then when you do it, 
it makes it easier to do other things, right? But the, mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is, is you got to know where you're going to a certain extent too. So for me with this cattle thing, and again, I really wanted to do the job. Like I wanted to get, I didn't want to just go like, oh yeah, like, you know, I do this, that or whatever, or tell people about it. Like I wanted to do it more than I wanted anything else. And I wanted to develop a skill set that would, you know, a proficiency in doing it to where people had been doing it for a long time were like, either like, man, you're getting better or like, oh, hey, can you come help do this? Mm -hmm. um, so let's, that, let's add some context for the listeners on what you are doing now. So yeah. what's going on with Little Bell? So Little Bell Cattle Company is 100% Montana start to finish um, premium beef company and livestock company. So we, um, my business partner, Tim Sheehy and I, um, who I've worked with, in the SEAL teams since 2013 after um, he found a huge amount of success in business and sold the company that I was originally working for. We kind of came up with this idea based on some of the stuff I was doing um, on the cattle side and just a shared goal and vision of um, where and who does our food come from. And we were super naive when we got started. We were just, <laughs> oh, this will be cool. This will be like a um, and I had been doing it at, at a smaller scale, but we basically took three properties that, um, had probably been connected at one point and put them back together. And then we started building this cattle company with the goal of providing nutrient dense, high quality protein back into our community. This is in 2019 that we really started that project. 2020, um, we like officially launched it. And then obviously COVID happened and I think for the first time, uh, you know, Americans started to see kind of cracks in the overall food system that we're all very reliant upon. Yeah. And Tim and I sat down and said, man, there may be a real business here. And you look at all these cattle, especially in Montana, um, and you say, well, how could there not be, you know, beef on the, on the it's grocery store? all over Montana, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and I think... Um, what I started to realize is that in cattle production regionally, kind of different regions are really good at, at certain kind of performance aspects within cattle production. And just because you're covering one of those areas doesn't mean that those same animals, you know, are the, the age class and weight of animal that's getting processed and going to the shelf. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge learning curve of just not only on, on the livestock side, but that's where we started was we are going to take, you know, really solid genetics and really high quality, you know, cattle that produce really good, high quality, nutrient dense beef. And we're going to manage them in a way that's number one, good for the environment. Um, and number two, good for those animals, which ultimately creates a great end product for, you know, the, the people that, um, our customers that are consuming it. And like I said, our initial goal was to then take Montana beef and keep it here in Montana. And what happens in Montana just quickly is Montana is very much a cow calf state and has extremely good maternal, you know, kind of genetics that produce really great calves. Yeah. Generally those calves get bought and, you know, leave the state, go somewhere else and get grown to a certain size. They go someplace else, get grown to a certain size. And then they get processed and distributed nation, um, nationwide. And all that's great. But what we wanted to look at was a sustainable local supply chain Full supply chain. 100%. Vertically integrated from calves hitting the ground all the way through, you know, beef 
going into to our community on your shelf. Correct. And we had no idea how long that was going to take. Uh, we had no idea in the beginning how that even worked to be perfectly honest. And my goal in the very beginning, the, the first truckloads of cattle that got delivered to the ranch was when I mean, that truck pulled away and it was just us. It was, I hope we don't kill all these things. Oh man. It uh, was, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was on at that point. That it, would be overwhelming. Yeah. That first truckload. It, it, when they leave and they're there and now you go, <laughs> oh wow, this is, and, and these things are in your care and they will die on you. If you, um, you know, it's like it, going home from the hospital with your first kid. That's exactly when they, <laughs> when the nurse goes, all right, see you later. And you go, what do we do now? Yeah. But that feeling can be the moment where you're like, I'm going to do everything in my power to like fight this feeling <laughs> and make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and then you start doing it and then the action, you know, I'm a big believer in, we all worry about all these things and, and generally the things we worry about never actually happen. And the best way to fight those feelings is to do something about action it. is the act the action fixes the the what ifs the worries and but that's hard like that feeling you know i was that feeling of like right before the action is the worst because you're just sitting there like let's do it let's go right um sometimes the drive to the gym is worse than the gym because you're mm. thinking about how bad it's going to be once you start doing it it's not that bad it's not that bad yeah um and even when it is you're like this is what i'm here for um, and so, yeah, so we started that and then, um, we did really well that first year on just strictly the livestock production side of the, the matrix that I would say we gauge cattle, you know, businesses performance wise, we did great. We did really well. We had an awesome year and, um, we had a lot of failures and a lot of lessons learned, but at the end of the day, we did great. And I started to see like partners of ours that were helping me in the beginning, um, you know, then called me and said, Hey, would you run some cattle for us? Which I was like, dang, wow. Yeah. Right. Like here's these people that in the beginning, if I had said, Hey, would you mind if I run some cattle? They'd be like, absolutely not. not <laughs> no way. Yeah. But then you start to see, and they see your commitment mm -hmm. and the people can tell if you're committed in your level of, you know, um, your craft it, authentic doesn't mean you're great at it, right? Like authentic doesn't mean the authentic is I'm committed to being great at it. Right. And people can tell you can't fake authenticity. You can't fake enthusiasm. Um, and as we built and grew, then, you know, we started piecing more ground to the ranch. We started bringing in additional age classes of cattle and, and you know, the next step in the supply chain and then the next step in the supply chain. And currently now where we're at this year was really our first year where I'd say kind of on a scalable, larger model um, where we're processing cattle on a weekly basis. And then we're distributing those cattle, you know, locally to, you know, direct consumers right now um, locally, but as well as like a number of some of, in my opinion, the best restaurants here in Bozeman and Big Sky mm -hmm. also have the confidence to use our product and, you know, it's been amazing working with those people as well. And, and so we truly are now taking it. And a lot of people say they do this and there's a lot of companies out there and 
it's great. I, I don't care either way, but just be honest about it, right? If you're buying cattle at a certain part along the stage and you're finishing them and then doing this, that's fine. But you can't say you're doing it from start to finish. In Montana. In Montana. Yeah. Or, or wherever. You could you could be honest and say, oh, yeah, we buy these here and then we do this with them. Um, and great. That, that, that is very much the phase line approach to this industry. But what we are truly doing in a very, like what I would call, um, you know, I would say we're a very like traditional working ranch and we're implementing just kind of new management practices that really aren't that new. Um, but they're, they're management practices that work really well for us to, to get the most out of the ground that we are managing and get the best performance out of those cattle and ultimately see that performance, you know, on the rail or in, you know, when on your plate. Um, and, you know, I know as well as you know, that the physical fitness side of it is, is one part of performance, your nutrition, your, there's all these different things. Yeah. There's tons to it. pillars. Yep. And so for us, um, feeling like, you know, you're providing that, you know, ultimately like kind of the fuel for people's adventures in their further lives is like super cool. And, mm. you know, there's a huge, the, the same way where in the military, you feel like you're this like kind of very small part of this overall solution very much in food production. I feel like we're this very small part in. And you are serving the country with, yeah. Yeah. With protein production. Yeah. And I feel like we're, you know, we're serving our community and we help support this community. Um, you know, we will donate things for, Montana State University for rural kids scholarships or for the athletic department. Um, we've gotten a ton of support on what we're doing. And a lot of people now want to know who and where their food comes from. And when Tim and I built this business, that was kind of what we wanted to give back to people was it's like hunting to a certain extent where if you go out and shoot a bull and you give me a tenderloin and I eat half of it and dump it in the, in the trash, you're like, Hey man. Mm -hmm. And when you have that connection and you're like, you know, Oh yeah. Nate and I did this, <laughs> this, and this to get that. You're going to throw it in the trash. Like yeah. unacceptable. Yeah. And that feeling when you, sh and, and that's how I feel about our beef. Um, that same feeling that when you share something that you put that much time and effort and that connection that you have to that, and you can give that to somebody else, especially back to how they're, you know, basically nourishing yeah. um, themselves. There's something about that that is so lacking, that is so cool. And when we have, you know, local people that, that come through and go to different restaurants and they know that it's our product that these chefs are preparing for them, it, those are our friends. Like yeah. those are our family members. Those are kids who go to school with our kids. Those are people at the gym, right? Like that's amazing. It, it's really fun for me. Like when we did lunch the other day, like that was so rewarding where you go, you know, here's all these people doing these awesome things to be like a small part in their day and hopefully yeah. a part where they were like, Man, that was cool to hear that guy talk about, you know, or that's the guy that like did it. Yeah, that beef from yeah. his place. And that's, you know, so this our the whole thing that Little Belt Cattle Company um and our premium beef, you know, line does is 100% Montana local supply chain. And and there's a lot of commitment that has to happen, you know, to partners of ours where it might cost a little bit more, but we're able to keep those businesses going as well. And they help us and we help them. Right. And for us, our cattle never travel more than 90 miles. And that includes post-processing. And we have stuff that never gets frozen and it's on people's plates back in our communities. And 
there's a huge sense of just, um, if, I don't know. It's, there's just, it's cool. And like I said, it's like when you know, when you pull that tenderloin out or you pull something out of your freezer that you know the effort it took to get it, that it, it's just, it's cool. That's, I think that's a big reason why we all love to hunt. And mm -hmm. we now get that kind of in this like secondary way where somebody goes, you know, man, I don't, I don't eat a lot of beef, but I love, I'll eat your stuff because of this. Or somebody can look at our story and relate to what we're doing or just say like, Hey, I want to know that the, the food that I'm eating, I want to know the process that it went through. And, and we're happy to share that. That's why I love doing these sorts of things. Um, because there's so much that goes into to food production in general. There's so much that goes in. We could do a three-hour podcast and just goes what goes into beef cattle production from start to finish. There's a lot, um, yeah. Yeah, I won't bore your, your audience <laughs> with all of that. But, you know, you can get super – and there's – you know, each of those phase lines has its own expertise to to get the performance that you need, you know, along that, that um, you know, that overall cycle. And – you know, we work, I'm very fortunate because I'm a big believer of putting kind of the the right people at the table with you and the right teams together. And we've been so fortunate to work with some unbelievable people from, you know, fifth going on sixth generation Montana ranchers that maybe in the beginning saw what we were doing. We're like, oh, this will be funny to watch. But that helped us get to where we are now. And yeah. we work with with them. And and I look at them with like a huge amount of admiration and um and just a huge amount of respect for what they do and how long they've been able to do it and how talented they are at what they do and the level of professionalism that that you know people in production ag and the skill sets they have still i mean i look at every day and i'm like man this is there's just a lot here yeah, it's a noble cause it's a sure. super noble cause yeah. and similar to the military it's like 1% of and these numbers might not be like super accurate so go easy on the YouTube comments, <laughs> but it's something around 1% of the population serves in the military. And of that 1%, 1% pr provides direct combat operations for the overall safety of, of everybody else. Production agriculture is approximately 1% of the overall population. And of that 1%, it's close to 1% of those people are in direct food production. Crazy. Yeah. And when you start to think about that in the industry, like agriculture as an industry is that the amount of dollars involved in agriculture is, is it's mind blowing. And even people with a lot of money go, Whoa, I had no idea that this is what kind of, you know, capital mm -hmm. intensity that it takes. Um, and that's why you see kind of more of these phase lines approached, um, as a business. And so putting all those together, not only has its, you know, kind of its skill set experience, um, uh, complications, but there's also a lot that goes into being able to retain those cattle all the way through that process. And it's really neat though, because I think about the decisions that we're making, whether that's on, you know, genetics or how we're running and managing those cattle and then seeing those, how, you know, the ultimate performance, which no matter what phase you are in that, the ultimate you know, goal is that those cattle as female are going back into kind of the reproduction system. Yeah. And the, you know, in our case, those steers are going into beef cattle production. Um, and all of that ultimately is to feed America yeah. and, and to feed truly like the highest quality. We are so fortunate here in this country and 
I mean, right now there's a big movement away from high quality nutrient dense food towards this fake stuff yeah. that if you've ever worked with a nutritionist, what they tell you to avoid highly processed foods every time, every time they're like, avoid highly processed foods, eat, you know, da, 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 da. And it, yeah. And if you do that, right, you, you like, you ultimately look and feel great. Yeah. Well, you're seeing all these, like, you couldn't have more processed than these like different fake meats and all these things. And so it's also an industry that is, you know, kind of being attacked in my opinion by false information out there um, from, you know, the effects on the environment where if you actually look at grazing animals and the effects that those have on, on grasslands as a whole, that is one of the, the number one ways to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere, whether you believe in climate change or not, there's carbon in the atmosphere, it goes into the ground and it creates the, the foundation for plants to be able to stand up straight and you can leave that in the ground and use it, or you can release it basically back into the atmosphere. Right. Hmm. Um, again, a whole nother topic we'd have to spend way too much time on. But when you look at those impacts that are now being painted in these like negative lights and you look at the amount of ground that's coming out of production agriculture and not coming back, what does that do to the system as a whole? And so as we've built and grown this business, um, we're putting production agriculture acres back into that and we're keeping them there. And it's a, it's something that just as a whole, you know, as those acres leave that as a country, you know, where are those gonna, where is that food going to come from? Um, and where is there going to be this point where the quality starts to get, you know, diminished? Um, and part of our goal as a business long-term is to make sure that doesn't happen. So that is like a, like a pretty drastic leap from your previous life and previous career. How has that, how has that have been handled and how have you handled it with your family? So like with your, with your wife and kids, what has their experience been? What has the the mindset around the dinner table been through this whole transition? Sure. I'll be the first to admit it's hard um, at times. Um, again, not everybody is, um, is as into the, <laughs> the, you know, there's no real safety net here. And, yeah. um, and my wife is incredible because um, she naturally is not that way. Like risk taking yeah she likes um but she will take a risk she has taken a risk on me and continues to take risks that on on me i guess that i want to take and mm -hmm. has been like my number one fan and supporter um but that does not come that like when i say oh i'm gonna go do this i think a lot of people probably think like oh like craig's wife is probably like this is gonna be awesome <laughs> where in actuality she's like wait, we're, what are you going to do? Like, well, how are you going to do this? Like what, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and they're all very logical questions and they're all questions. Like there's a responsible way to make those changes. Um, like, again, I didn't just say one day, like, Oh, I'm going to go start running wrench. There was a lead in process steps, steps to, to ultimately to open that door steps that I followed closely though. When the door opened, I felt confident stepping through it, um, to, make the the best attempt towards success as I could. She knows me well enough to know that I won't just dive in without doing the preparation that it takes. Um, and I owe her that back 
to, to say like, Hey, you know, um, but it's, it's challenging. I mean, it's not without, it's not yeah. just met with this, Oh, you're going to go do that now. Great. You know, and you know, <laughs> you um, work through it. Yeah. And you know, like marriage is, it is, it's a, it's a work through process and there's gotta be support there, but it's unfair to say that it's unconditional support all the time when it, when there's other people that ultimately are affected. Mm -hmm. And if my wife would be the first one to be like, cool, you're going to, you know, you're going to be commuting back and forth between, you know, here and there, and then where the feed yard is now. And like, okay, great. Like that's on you. And she, and, and we work very well together. And now though, like building a business and I love working with my family, um, within the business, like my wife is part of the business. Tim's family is part of the business and there's something cool about that. That's awesome. But it's hard. Yeah. Because I mean, it's easy to get upset with your family and you know, <laughs> right. Like if you're working with other people, you're generally a little bit more reserved, but when it's your family, you, and, um, but that doesn't mean you, if you don't function well as a team, you're probably not going to function very well. Um, in overall performance. But I think probably the biggest thing is setting the example for our kids of you, you, you truly can do anything you want. And the more natural talents you have to be good in the direction you want to go, will will help you to a certain extent. You really can do anything you want, but it's going to take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I want to join the NBA, probably not set up super well for that, you know? And I, I don't know if that's not, but I don't think that's, it's not something in me where I'm like, Oh, I really want to be in the NBA. Right. But like, I'd have a lot of work to do for that. But if my kids said to me like, Hey, I want to do this. I'd be like, cool. Totally doable. You got to try it. You got to figure out the steps to get there. Um, you know, so like anything, I mean, it's it, those added stresses. That's exactly what they are. They add stress to what, is ultimately for most people already there's stress there, right? Like you've got to provide for your family. Mm -hmm. Um, when you make those changes, it adds that stress and that's not just felt by the person doing it. Um, and so I think you owe it to that, to your partner to have be as prepared as you possibly can. So when the door opens, you can confidently go through it but that doesn't just happen willy nilly and you just go, Oh, I'm going to go do this. And mm -hmm. I think people look at, I have had people make this comment to me and go like, Oh, you make all these changes. And I'm like, yeah, I have, I've done different things. Every one of those things have been extremely calculated as not, I didn't know I was going in that direction, but when I decided to go in that direction, it was extremely calculated in how I was going to get there so that when the time came to, to action it, I felt like I was ready. Yeah. And I think that, lesson to my kids is something um I, again i i do feel like i'm setting the example of yeah you can do what you want but it's not going to be easy and it's there's gonna take a lot of yeah. work and, and my kids work at the ranch right so they come up and get to see you know those challenges but i think the best thing we can do for our kids is develop what we talked about earlier um which is the ability to overcome hardship and the more they get exposed you know, a gradual exposure to that means you're not going to get steamrolled by, you know, small challenges in life because ultimately we're all going to have huge challenges and we have to be able to weather those challenges 
And that comes from, again, like incremental exposure to, to challenges yeah. and overcoming challenges in developing the grit that it takes and the perseverance that I hope that my kids are developing that skill set to be able to break the negative snowball. I hope they're developing like the ability to shake off the bad entry into the bad room and move into the next one. And I hope they're developing the ability to think about where the failure came from. And sometimes that ability to point at yourself of why you were part of that failure is hard to do, but ultimately gets you further down the road. And I really hope that what I'm doing, my wife's doing, what we're doing as a family and the talks we have around the dinner table and the experiences that we're exposing our kids to is developing those skill sets. Because I think as a parent, if I can develop those skill sets for them, they can apply that in any direction that they want to go. And the ability to see where hard work can get you is the the action item that they're going to hopefully take on board wherever or whatever they want to do. And I think that's been one of the coolest things with this whole project because um, they've gotten to see what that struggle looks like. Um, They've gotten to hear people tell me like, what? You're not going to do that. Like, that's not for you. And they've gotten to see what it takes, you know, themselves. They've seen all the work. Yeah. yeah. And they're learning a skill set too. I mean, my daughters, two of them, eight and 10, um, I have three daughters, but my, my oldest and my middle were with me. And, you know, I told them the other day, like, Hey, you guys are trailing these. We had, it was like 850 head of cattle that needed, you know, to go from point A to point B. And it was a fairly long distance. And we had, it was my two girls, um, my main manager at the ranch, Ethan Forrester, who's a fantastic person and one other person. And between the five of us, I mean, we tread those and those, those two girls were in the back and they know <laughs> when dad says you're trailing, like you're the back, <laughs> nothing gets by and you're yeah. going to get, and they have to work together. And somebody asked me the other day, they were like, do they bicker a lot? And I was like, I don't know because they get a job and they, they might, but they still have to work through working together and what it's teaching them, you know, as sisters and as part of our family unit is like, yeah, okay, great. We might disagree. We might bicker, but ultimately we're counting on each other. The job's got to be yep. done, man. Yep. That's amazing, Greg. That's really cool. What, what you've done. And I think really cool what you're doing for Montana. And it's, it's awesome to see someone kind of take a crazy leap like that and put in the work and it's it's encouraging to a lot of folks that because so many folks want to do something similar, not always ranching, of course, but sure. everyone, most people on their heart have some sort of leap they want to take and they're a little too scared to take that step. So it's really encouraging. And I mean, it's amazing to watch what you've done as well. I mean, again, I think you, we all, it's really cool to watch again, you know, people in your like age peer group, but are, are doing those things. I think you're right. There's so many people out there that want to do those things and they see other people doing them and it's maybe they just don't know where to get started. And I would encourage them to, you know, whatever that first step looks like, go to the class yeah. that you've always, you know, go to the art class, go to the judicial class, go to the gym, you know, whatever it is, whatever that first step is for you, start towards it. And that doesn't mean you have to quit your job tomorrow and commit your entire life to doing this thing, but maybe that's where you end up. But none of that happens if you don't take that 
that first step. And I would encourage people to, you're never going to know if you don't try. And I tell people all the time, you know, we get kids that call me up and go, I want to be a seal. And I go, yeah, you can totally be a seal. The guy, my brother's buddy who was an actual Navy seal was the first person who told me I could be a Navy seal too. And there was a thousand people that weren't Navy seals that told me I'd never make it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And all, all it takes is like, who are you going to, but you just got to have the courage to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take one step closer to even seeing if this is what I want to do. Yeah. Right. And, and then I encourage you to, when you find that thing, give it it all because all that's, in. that's what we're all trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody can do that for you. And that's the hardest part is nobody, nobody, we have people that kind of, you know, influence paths that we go down, I think, but nobody determines your path, but you, and you know, that doesn't mean we all just get to willy nilly do whatever we want all the time. But I think when you identify what that thing is and you start working something towards it, that will drive further action. And that's the only difference between people who ultimately like go out and do the thing or talk about doing the thing or say, mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to do that once, but then, you know, I never took the class. And it's a regret. Yep. Well, thanks so much for you coming by me. the lab, man. Thanks for feeding us the other day. I, that was thank amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. No, this is awesome, man. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, anybody in Bozeman or Big Sky, look for Little Belt Cattle Company. And you can go on our website um, and see all the places that uh, we're selling beef into now. Local people can shoot us an email. We can do like direct Deliveries. sales. Yeah. And then um, you can check us out on the, the old Instagram if you want to kind of <laughs> see what um, what it looks like on the ranch. And again, we kind of try to give people a realistic look. Um, you know, we try to make ourselves look cool every now and again, but if I get a truck stuck in the ditch or (laughs) (laughs) fall off my horse, we'll put that on there too. And, um, but yeah, I super appreciate it. It's again, I, same to you. Um, it's really impressive to see what you guys are building here and building here in Montana. And, um, I just love to see kind of the momentum of, you know, Cause you're from Montana, yep. right? Yep. And like, you remember time just as well as I do. Cause when I first moved here, you had to have like three or four jobs. Oh yeah. There was no remote work <laughs> and there was no, none of this, right? Like yep. you had to work hard to stay here Yeah. or you had to be committed to like what your life was going to look like as far as a career. Um, and I think it's really cool. The people that are, that have, you know, that have moved here and the businesses that have grown, because if that hadn't happened, we'd kind of still be in that. Um, so, but it's amazing to watch somebody like yourself, like build a business locally here. That's, you know, hiring people and providing great opportunities and jobs in, in, you know, training military members and training folks to get out and enjoy the best part of life, which is yeah. to be able to get, like, to me, like get outside and do like the epic stuff you can do at a certain time in your life that at some point you won't be able to do anymore. And don't ever get to the point where you didn't do all those things <laughs> because I mean, that's, yeah. That's you don't want stuff. regrets. Nope. No regrets. You just got to survive these winters in Montana. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I like them. Yeah. Keeps us tough. Keeps you tough. And, and there's plenty of good activities to do to get out there and enjoy. For sure. Yep. Well, thanks, Greg. Thanks, man. I appreciate, appreciate you. It. Yep. You bet. You bet.